Well, good morning, everyone, and, and uh, both here and at home. It's lovely to be here. A great privilege. Um, I, when I preach, I, to be honest, if I can just say, uh, I do like to people to be quite demonstrative, and, uh, and, and it's in part encouraging for me, but it's also a response to God. So, you know, it's great to see people say hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, preach it, brother. Um, and I guess if, if we can't sing with masks on, we can't say those things, uh, which is a little bit sad for me uh, this morning. Um, but, but, and it's also quite difficult because I also like to see people's faces and, and you know, particularly I, I can't see you smile or laugh when I tell jokes and things like that. So that, that's quite difficult for me. Um, but what I can see is I can see your eyes. I can see the, the upper part of your, your face. And so I'm just going to ask that you be as demonstrative as possible with your eyes, with your eyebrows. Uh, I, I don't know. You know if, if I say something that really touches your heart, you want to say hallelujah, praise the Lord, say it with your eyebrows. Do you, I, I don't know. Do you want to practice that right now? Just say, if I say, hallelujah. That, that's, that's great. That's great. You, praise the Lord. No, that's the same as hallelujah. You've got to do it differently. You've got to do it differently. But yeah, I'll let you work that one out. But it's, uh, it, is, uh, it is interesting times, isn't it? We're going to read a passage from Scripture. Um, I'm going to read from uh, the Apostle James' letter. And I'm going to read chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 14 onwards. And I'm going to remember... Uh, my age, and put my glasses on as well. Uh, and I'm also going to apologize. I'm reading from uh, the English Standard Version. Uh, so if you're reading from another version, do, do follow through, but the English Standard Version. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 14 onwards. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. We give thanks for that. Before I... um, begin to explore that a bit further. Let's pray uh, together, shall we? Heavenly Father, your word is ancient, but it is living. It is inspired by yourself, the living holy God who sits outside and through all time, uh, and, and it is intensely relevant to our generation as much as it was to those who were the initial recipients of it. So, Heavenly Father, we pray this morning to take that living word and help us to hear what you have to say, help us to understand what you are saying to us, but above all, Heavenly Father, help us to respond, we pray, to your glory, to our blessing and the blessing of the world around us. In 
Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, tough times right now. Tough times uh, for finances, for, uh, for jobs, for, for those who are looking for jobs, for health, not just physical health, for mental health and well-being, um, for government, for devolved government, for national government, for, for global government. Uh, and, and, of course, we haven't even begun to talk about Brexit and, and things like that yet. And, 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 and if you take COVID and Brexit and then remember that actually those things which caused us to be concerned before those things came along, those things that used to keep us awake at night or worry us or concern us, those stresses and challenges of normal life, they haven't actually either gone away. Uh, they, they're still there. Uh, they still affect us in all kinds of ways. People need good news. You want good news right now, don't you? I want some good news. There's got to be some good news, hasn't there? Well, actually, we need to be reminded that as Christians, we have the best news. We have good news. That's what gospel means. The word gospel in Greek is good news. And we have the best news. And so this morning, I want to um, take some time just to, uh, just to unpack the gospel, to look at the gospel. Uh, and... and for our own benefit, because we need encouraging, we need lifting up, we need motivating and, 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 and sending out into this world. But this isn't just for us. The world needs good news right now, doesn't it? And we have the best news. And our families and our friends and our communities and our nations, they need good news right now. But before we start with that, let's just go back and, and just explore a bit more bad news. There, there is more bad news, I'm afraid. Um, there is a day coming, there is a day coming when COVID and Brexit will pale into insignificance. There is a day coming when, when all of that will disappear, when Jesus will appear, when God will be glorified and draw an end to history and we will all stand before him and give an account for our lives. And that day is coming, and it's coming soon, and it will bring its own challenges. And Jesus said this, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's a little bit worrying, isn't it? And for some, that will be terrifying. It will be very confusing for people on that day. People who did so much for Jesus... In his name, says Jesus. And he'll say, have we met? I don't know you. Now, what is the problem here? What is the problem with this? Is it that they are doing the wrong kind of things? Is it that they're not doing enough for Jesus? I mean, it is true we have to work for Jesus. It is true there are requirements that Jesus places upon us as Christians, the way we live, the way we interact with the world around us. I mean, for instance, the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus begins his ministry gathering thousands of people around him on a mountainside and, and goes through a whole list of things, the requirements that are upon us, uh, beginning with the Beatitudes and working his way through, he gets the commandments. He says, I have not come to, to uh, nullify the commandments, but to fulfill them. The commandments still stand. Indeed, let's take them a step further. If you uh, hate someone in your heart, you have murdered them, even though nothing re in reality physically has happened. If you lust after someone in your heart, you have committed adultery, even though nothing physical may have happened. And he goes through all this list, and he sums it up uh, with that, that 
passage in verse 48 of chapter 5. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That is what I require of you. That is the standard, and it is so high. Perfection. Perfection. Now, the the danger with that uh, is that where people take that high standard of perfection, and then in their minds they start to think, okay, now how do I do that? How, how do I how do I accomplish that? What steps do I need to take? And we see the Pharisees do that through the through the Old Testament, leading up to the time of Jesus. They they take the very the the the, the perfect standards of the the commandments, uh, and they work out how best they can they can keep them. And and uh, Christians can do the same. And to some extent, we, we you know we, we we do it in in slightly different ways, perhaps, but still we can become quite legalistic and formal and 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 go through lists and things. And to some extent, it, maybe it doesn't matter so much that we we actually attain perfection, but just as long as I'm better than the people around me, holier than they are, perf- more perfect than they are. And, and of course, that that striving for, for perfection can lead. It can lead in two directions. It can lead to pride, the pride of the Pharisees the pride of those who are holier than the, the other people around them. Or, or if you're more realistic, it could lead to despair when you realize that standard is so high and there's no way we could ever meet it. And what Jesus is doing when he lays these things out before us is he does want us to be realistic and to understand that these things are unobtainable. The Sermon on the Mount stands... The Ten Commandments stand. Indeed, he's taken them deeper, and they still apply. But if you break a commandment, even one commandment, once in your life, and then you continue to keep all the commandments perfectly, you have still fallen short of that standard, that standard which is perfection, which is God himself. Uh, Just just one, just just a lie, just a, a, a moment of anger, and you fall short. And therefore, you you. Do not reach that standard. You fall short. You, uh, you, you are, as, as the Apostle Paul describes, dead in your trespasses and sins. You have fallen short of life and hope and peace and, and all the standard that is God. You are therefore dead in your trespasses and sins. And no matter how loving and faithful and good and perfect you are in, in most other ways or every other way possible, still you have fallen short of that and you carry around with you the stench of death. And Jesus wants us to understand that. Therefore, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who recognize there is a need and they have nothing to provide that need. And he drives us towards a third direction. You could be, pr- you could be proud, you could despair, but there is a third way. There is a third direction. And, and, and that, is, that is through the scriptures, through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, It is that God can perform a resurrection. God can bring new life to dry bones. You can, indeed you must, be born again. That is the heart of the good news. Springing from bad news, this gospel cuts through all of this and says, you can never be good enough. You can never attain the standard, which is God himself. But God has done something. God has sent his son Jesus into this world. Jesus has laid his life out on the cross, died, taken the full punishment of our sin upon himself, and broken the power that sin has over you, and brought life, a relationship with God, that if you you, you accept that offer of his service on your behalf, 
By faith, you can be made alive in a new relationship with God. And as he is resurrected, you can be resurrected and you can know life everlasting. And so Jesus, as he says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No amount of religious behavior or activity, no matter amount of good works or charity can do anything, but Christ died for us, that we may be rescued from our sin. And it is what uh, the reformers called uh, in, in um, Latin, sola fide, <laughs> thank you. Um, it's, it's, yeah, okay, so Latin. But justification by faith alone. It, it means what can dead things do? What, what, can, what can a dead person do? A dead, a dead person can do nothing, but God, through Christ, justifies us. And, and, and all we do is put our faith and we accept that free gift. But even that faith is a gift from God. That, that, what, what, again, what can dead people do? Dead things cannot have faith. So God gives us that in, in faith. So no one can boast. Now the question is, if we return to uh, the Beatitudes and the Commandments, now what does that mean? What about that standard of perfection which remains? Well, if we go back to the original giving of the commandments, back to Exodus chapter 20 in the Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel, this, this people, two and a half million men, women, and children, brought out of slavery, out of certain death, brought to God. And, and he says to them, I have rescued you. I have redeemed you. Now, here is how I want you to live. Here are some commandments. Uh, and, and this is how I want you to obey me. But I want you to notice in that what happens. It's fundamental through all of Scripture. The relationship comes before the rules. The relationship comes before the, the commandments. And, and it's the same through the New Testament. You go through the, the, the epistles, for instance, of James and John and, and Peter and, and Paul. And often you see the pattern in these epistles. The first part of the epistle is what God has done for us. Once we were dead, once we were in darkness, once we were lost, now God has done this amazing thing, this great news. And then the second part of the letter, well, this is... This is how we should, should live. This is how we should respond to this great news. As Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not, not by keeping my, my commandments, you show your love. That's a, that's a human perspective that's so all too common. And it's very mechanistic and it's a little cold. It's the other way around in the scriptures. If you love me, then you will be able to keep my commandments. We love, says John in his epistle, we love because he first loved us. How do I know what love is? How can I love with the love that is of God? It's because God has loved me first. And so the more time I spend with Jesus, the more loving, the more generous, the more faithful that I become, the more humble and serving others and so on. Because Jesus is my strength and my salvation, my hope and my future. And so the gospel, the gospel, we respond to the gospel by faith. We come into relationship with God by faith, and that faith produces love, and that love bears the fruit of good works. So what about James? James comes along, and James is concerned that there is another faith. That there is another faith that is around, and it's all too common, and it is a counterfeit faith that does not save. And it is a faith that we can identify because it does not bear the fruit of love. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of food and one of you says, go in peace and be warmed and filled, yet do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use 
is that. Uh, and and he, he talks about demons. Demons have faith. Demons believe. Demons know God uh, better than you and I. They've seen him. Demons Demons believe the scriptures. Demons believe in the virgin birth and the resurrection. They were there. But they have no relationship with the living gods, and they have no love. They do not have that precious gift that is yours and mine alone. So James's concern is that people can be like that. They can have a knowledge. They can have an understanding. They can have doctrine. They can have rules and regulations. They can have a counterfeit faith, but no love. Because real faith produces real behavior. Let me give you an example of that. There's a passage in uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church that is, uh, that is about love. And it's a beautiful passage, and I'm going to read it to you now. And it's often uh, read at uh, weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? But it could be a devastating thing to use at a wedding, couldn't it? If it's out of context, what a terrible thing to say to a young couple starting out in their new life together. You know, they're still still finding out about each other. That relationship is still developing. And, and, and here you say, here is the standard of your relationship. Patience, kindness, envy. Love never fails. How long? Minutes? Hours? Days? Before in some way love fails? Before there's a certain amount of impatience or unkindness. And let, let me tell you, I have been married nearly 30 years. Uh, it's coming up pretty soon, 30 years. And I, I know we, we do believe in miracles. Um, but I, I, the, part of the reason I'm married uh, for 30 years is that my wife is incredibly patient, kind, loving, long-suffering, uh, forbearing, resilient, um, great sense of humor, which is why she married me, um, all of those things. But if I measure myself by this passage, I'll be honest with you, 30 years on, there are times when I'm not patient. There are times when I'm not kind. I am, of course, just confessing in this. Don't tell anybody else. Um, But um, self-seeking, I'm pretty good at self-seeking. I've got a lot of practice. It's comfortable for me to seek my own self-comfort and so on. So to see this as a to-do list is to attempt the impossible. It is unachievable. It is too high. It is God. God is love, and this is what it looks like. But I think a few moments ago I did say there is a way of accomplishing the impossible, isn't there? There is a way of doing it, and it is through a loving relationship with Jesus. We love because he first loved us. And if he loved us, then we, we, and we come by faith into that relationship, then we have a love that starts to begin to attain the impossible. So the more time you spend with Jesus, the more patient, the more kind, the more humble, the more generous, and so on, because Jesus is your salvation, your hope, your strength. It is a process, don't get me wrong. We don't attain that perfection until that day when history ends. But until then, the process should be evident. 
And let me give you a final uh, example, another example, and, and I'll uh, draw a cl- to a close with this. But let's take fear as an example. I talked about fear at the beginning, uh, and, and there's a lot of fear around right now, uh, you know, finances and health and relationships and, uh, and the future and all those kind of things. But then, as, as we heard right at the beginning, that passage that was read, um, I mean, it's a beautiful passage. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he also not along with him graciously give us all things? If you lay awake at night worried about your finances, he gave you his son. If you worry about health, he gave you his son. Worry about anything. He gave you his son. I've just had a birthday, and I I seem to have one every year, and they seem to get faster and faster. And and at my age, I'm just staring into the void. And and, and if if you lay awake at night and you just think about death and eternity, he gave you his son. How much more along with him will he not give you graciously all things that you need? Perfect love drives out fear. And the more my fear is replaced by his love, the more I am calm, generous, loving, patient, kind, and all those things. So you see, faith and works go together. One is different from the other. One is the root of our salvation. Faith, but one is the fruit of our salvation. Works. Abraham had true faith. Um, Rahab had true faith because we see it in what they did. And James admittedly, confusingly, says their works justify them. But he does, even in, in that short passage, unpack a little of what he is trying to mean. And he's bringing the two together. He says the two are inseparable. Faith and works go together. Faith is the root. And works are the fruit of your salvation. The deeper one goes, the greater uh, uh, the other is produced. And so what uh, James does is give a really important balance to the Apostle Paul. Paul makes it very clear. He's trying to overcome all other religious beliefs that say you attain perfection. You you come to God. You you come to eternity by what you do. You you, you live a good life. You go on pilgrimage. You, you travel around a holy mountain on your knees. You do this. You do that. And surely God will accept you. He says, no. What can a dead thing do? Not even have faith. That in itself is a gift. And so it is through faith that we are justified. And Paul is utterly clear on that. But James comes and gives a balance and says, what does faith look like? It manifests itself in a life that is full increasingly of the love that that relationship with God brings. And so the glory of the gospel is not just, and it is good news, isn't it? It's not just that we're justified and reborn from the dead through the free gift of faith. It is that we are recipients of a love so powerful that it can make us into new loving people. It changes us from within, piece by piece, the process that is technically called sanctification. Let me, let me finish the words of the great hymn that says this, My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus, and all in him, is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Let me tell you, if you're you're at the beginning 
of, of, of looking at Christianity and, and, and understanding what Christianity is about. Depend upon Jesus. That's what it's all about. Depend upon Jesus. If you're in the middle of your, your journey of faith or, or maybe moving towards the end, depend upon Jesus. It is all about Jesus. He is all. He should be in all. He is everything uh, in our lives. I'm going to pray. Let's uh, just draw this to a close now and let us pray. Lord, we want to be loving people. We no longer want to be wrapped up in our selfish lives. We want to know freedom from fear. We want to know peace from the turmoil of this world. We want to make a difference in this world. We want to bring good news to a world that is desperate for truth and life and hope. We want to be swept up in Christ and in his ways. We want to reflect more and more the image of the living God in all your loving glory. And so I pray this morning, I pray that we may glorify you by coming to Christ in faith alone, seeking Christ and remaining with him alone, reflecting his glory more and more in the fruit of righteousness. And as that hymn writer says, we ask that Jesus and all in him would be ours, that alive in him, he would be our living head and in him and through him and with him, we should be more and more the people that you have called us to be, clothed in righteousness divine to your glory and to the blessing of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you.